Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast, brought to you by Baldwin Research Institute and the Freedom Model. Addiction experts Mark Sheeran, Stephen Slate, and Michelle Dunbar take on controversial topics surrounding substance use, addiction, and treatment. If there are topics you'd like for us to discuss, books you'd like for us to review, or have specific questions, please email us at podcast at thefreedommodel.org. That's podcast at thefreedommodel.org. Hi, everybody. Uh, Michelle, Steve, and Mark here today. Um, And we have an interesting topic that comes up a lot on social media, and that is the terminology surrounding addiction, the addiction disease, addiction treatment. I mean, it has its own language. And there's a lot of, you know, we have to meet people where they are, so we use a lot of the same terminology, but then we, we qualify it. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about today is, um, you know, the language and why it is important and it needs to change. Um, so let's, let's start with the term addiction itself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's start with the big one. Um, you know, what, what is, Mark, what is your problem with that, with that well, word? I, first of all, I think it implies... Um, well, the definition according to Western culture is that you never get over the problem, that there's a loss of control, that there's a certain group of people that can't uh, ingest substances without uh, the substance taking over their power of will, free will. It takes over their free will. So, um, I mean, it's, it's literally that term is filled with mythology, with ideas that aren't true. So I, I think that that is uh, uh, <laughs> really why we wrote the entire freedom model is is because <laughs> right, to we debunk that term. Yeah, yeah. As a whole, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, so that automatically gets into the discussion of what is addiction, and and you know we talk about it being a preference for use, for heavy use or use consistent use, whatever. Um, but it's a preference that's freely chosen, and. Uh, and so how do you, what word would you describe uh, accurately? And I would say habit, but, you know, people people struggle with that because it sounds dismissive. And like I'm saying, it's just a simple habit, you know. And the truth is it is just a simple mm-hmm. habit, but you have to get rid of all that mythology. So, so I think that addiction, the term, is really problematic. People don't even question uh, the fact that it um, doesn't make sense. Um, they just assume that when somebody's addicted, they're forever that way. So I think that's a problem because it's not true. Well, the thing about it that's interesting about addiction, the term addiction, is it's used for so many things. And and it, it on the one hand, you know, it, if you're talking about with substance use or even um, shopping or video gaming or anything, it's, it's synonymous with disease, but a lot of people will just use it as a way to say they soup, they love something. Like I'm addicted to chocolate or I'm addicted mm-hmm. to, you know what I mean? So so it does kind of interchange and it is a little bit watered down. Um, what what term what, what term is a bugaboo for you, Steve? Um, I, you know, I'm just gonna say one more thing about addiction is that it actually did mean that you loved something. That's right. At one point in the past. That's right. Um, it meant you were devoted to something, historically, um, 
and this sort of enslavement aspect, uh, that part of the meaning goes way back to ancient times, and you were addicted if you were a, an indentured servant, right? You had not paid your bills or whatever else, you would be sentenced, and when they sentenced you, you were addicted to a master, the person that you owed money to, and you were basically enslaved to them. So, you know, that goes way back, and, um, and it is the most important thing. We need to stop using the word addiction, and, <laughs> and we need to say, you know, get out of that and say, you know, you have a preference. It might be a troubling preference, right? You really feel that you need to drink every day or whatever. We need to talk right. about it in terms that describe what's really going on and boiling it down in this single word addiction really obliterates any clear point. thinking about what is actually going on. Because you say, I have an addiction. Right. It's like it's not of your own volition. <laughs> and it is of our own volition. That's, you know, so we choose our addictions. Like, yeah, we do. We, we sort of do. So, um, so that's a big one. And then obviously the word relapse, right? Yes. Because um, same reason. Relapse is a medical term, and uh, you know, so what they say we have the addiction, but maybe we can put it into remission for a little while, be in recovery for a little while. And then when we use the substances again, we're said to relapse. I had a relapse, suffered a relapse, um, relapsed into my addiction. And it all, again, takes it away from the willful choice to drink or use drugs and to do so heavily, if, if that's the case. And um, it makes you a passive victim. victim. That's when right. you use the term relapse. So that's, I, this, this one relapse really is upsetting. And again, sometimes I have to use it for shorthand, right? Yeah. To talk to people where they're at, as you said, but I don't like using that term at all. I, I hate it. Well, you, you brought up something, Steve, that's an angle that uh, is almost never talked about. And that is sort of, I have an addiction is a black and white answer. And so much of treatment is platitudes or something that uh, is a, um, a blanket statement that becomes truth to people. But, and that's why they don't question it, you know? And, and, you know, you have an addiction. I can just see the counselors talking to me when I was 15. And, you know, Mark, you have an addiction. And, my heart fell you know I can remember thinking really and there was no explanation they weren't asking really my opinion or what I thought or my take on things it really was um, you know I was labeled and now I, now I am a passive victim in something that I have to fight and work around um, but that black and white sort of approach to, to human problems um, is so damaging because it's really when it comes to an industry of help is about control and that is once you label somebody you negate them 
right? You basically mm-hmm. make the person small in the whole process. And, uh, it's and dehumanizing. What's well, that? Yeah. It's that's dehumanizing. Exactly. Yeah, it's dehumanizing. Exactly. That's exactly the point of all of this language. And, you know, it goes so far, you know, I don't want to always focus on AA, but, you know, they but, talk about stinking thinking and they tell you not to think. Yeah. Uh, take the cotton out of your ears, stick it in your mouth. Basically, just shut up and listen to your sponsor and do the steps, right? Right. And so all of these terms are designed, you know, like you said, for control. Like, hey, look, I've diagnosed you. You have an addiction. Now we need to prevent relapse and craving, you know, and craving. That's another one. Oh, that's, yeah. It becomes um, this otherworldly thing that happens to you. Uh, but craving is just wanting. It's it's just thinking about something and say saying that would be good. I would right. like it right now. You know, and so but but this is to make you docile and to just go through the system and don't bother thinking about it. But the problem is um, that our motivations come from what we think and believe on the deepest level. So if if we shut that down with these terms and um, and try to just go along to get along, nothing really changes at a fundamental level. You know, you yeah. really got to think about why am I doing this? Is it still what I really want? You know, and that, that gets converted into, okay, you have an addiction and you have to battle the addiction, you know, without knowing that, you know, what you're really doing what 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 are you really trying to attempt to do and that is to to look at um this thing that you obviously prefer doing and figure out if you still prefer to do that or not and whether you might have better options and be happier making a change uh all these words obliterate that task and and you know you wonder why people go back and keep failing at this task and it's because you know it's they're not their heart really you know isn't well, not, not that their heart isn't in it but they're just not walking through the logical steps you know um well just, you're not you're not even addressing the problem at hand because you're distracted yeah. you're distracted by something that that uh i mean it literally is if you if you look at the way uh, treatment has developed over the last 80 years here in America. Prior to treatment, uh, not everybody died, right? If if there was a if there was truly a disease, and there was no treatment for it, because really treatment started with AA. That's where alcoholism or addiction treatment began, right? Mm-hmm. Then did that mean that like the bubonic plague prior? to AA, everybody that had it died, right? <laughs> they didn't. No. Well, and, 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 you know, they didn't even think of it as an it. Well, that's why, though. Right. Right? So, so we have this pre-80 years ago control group that we can look at where people drank, and in many cultures, including ours, they drank more per capita at that time, and yet people were dying at less of a rate and overdosing at less of a rate. So it is only with the advent of treatment where we take the power 
of free will. If there is power, the power is free will, is the power of choice, is the ability to choose. That is the power of a human being. And it's not a willpower, right? It's, it's free will. So once we got rid of free will in 1939 with the advent of Alcoholics Anonymous, their book and Bill Wilson's fantasy of treatment, of treating a fictitious disease, we took all the focus away from the individual and, and the fact that they had free will and could choose and that they're a causal creature. And we made it so that people were dependent on treatment. But the only way treatment can have any validity is if there is a disease or something outside the person attacking them. Then you need a third party to protect you. And that's where counseling came from. It's not happenstance that psychiatry and Alcoholics Anonymous were developing parallel with each other. And the results of both in many cases are worse than prior to, to those sciences, quote unquote, existing. Um, so from a, from a macro point of view, they just took and, and ignored what is true about humanity, which is that we choose. You know, we choose. That's, that's how humans live their lives. Every waking moment, we're making choices. And drinking is no different than deciding to eat a, a slice of toast. So, um, yeah, yeah. If you pull it out of the human and you make it an external problem, you need an external solution. Let's, let's talk about the word dependency because that word bothers me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know that it's... A lot of people, I think it bothers me because people conflate, um, you know, alcoholism with alcohol dependence and where where alcoholism is a strong preference for alcohol. Dependence means there's the presence of withdrawal symptoms if you stop it, um, that, that your body has acclimated to, to having... poison. Yeah, to being poisoned. It's a tox, it's a toxicity. Um, and... And there's a, a medical process to go through. But but I think people, when they think of dependence, when I think of the word dependence, I think it means, well, people can't choose to stop. Yeah, they, they conflate physical with mental. Right, right. Yeah. When, of course, that's not true or else nobody would have withdrawal symptoms because they wouldn't stop. That's right. You know, the, the, the simple presence of withdrawal symptoms is, is an indicator that people stop. You know, the fact that they find that out, that, <laughs> yeah. oh, I'm experiencing yeah. withdrawal. That's a good point. That's you know? a good point. Yeah. So so that one that one bothers me too. And and my favorite one is triggers. Like, I love that word, quite frankly. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> because it's so absurd. It's so absurd. And it's so overused in our culture today. I'm like triggered. I'm, I'm triggered. triggered. You know, and um, but that's. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> you want to see the absurdity. It is what's going on. In our culture right now, I have, uh, you know, friends on Facebook who talk about <laughs> trigger warnings. They want a trigger warning before you talk about some, you know, something uh, political, something or... political, or not even political, just cultural different things that that uh, if they hear this particular idea, it'll send them into a rage and reignite trauma and everything. <laughs> and, and it is the same as the, that's the same as the trigger concept in recovery that, yes. well, if I am at a party and somebody is drinking, like that's going to cause this uncontrollable reaction in me and I'm gonna go drink. And, and you know, we're making ourselves out to be like 
animals. You know, you, yes. if you, if you get the laser pointer and you, you <laughs> aim it on the ground and move it around, the cat has to chase it because it's like, it thinks it's seeing a mouse or something. Right. 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 So, it's a trigger. <laughs> like that's what we are like. If I see the drink, I have to have it. If I watch a drug movie, you know, they, I remember they used to say that. Oh, Oh yeah. You know, you know, like, oh, Requiem for a Dream, you shouldn't watch that, you know. And and I was tr- told to stop listening to The Grateful Dead. Really? I was, <laughs> at the beginning. I, my sponsor was like, oh. That's a trigger. Listen, that's a trigger. You, yeah. you party a lot listening to The Grateful Dead. And I'm like, um, I listen to all music, so okay, but. <laughs> yeah, but- and you know, the fact is, when you, when you don't want to use drugs anymore, there's nothing that's going to trigger you right. into using them. I, I have had people offer me cocaine. I can't tell you how many times. Yeah. Um, it's really strange. And I used to do a ton of cocaine. I used to shoot it up like every 15 minutes all day long. And that's not an exaggeration. Um, but I just don't want it. Right. So You're it, just... it makes no difference. You know, that that's been offered to me. It literally is meaningless. It's just no thank you. If you or someone you know is struggling with substance use issues, the Freedom Model can help. Call 888-424-2626. That's 888-424-2626. Or visit thefreedommodel.org to see which option may be best for you. For a residential option, visit soberforever.net that's soberforever.net we were contacted um by a parent uh last night who um is you know he asked me or he asked us and i just happened to be the one on on there um about you know how can he talk to his son should he his son was clean for a while off of heroin and he's since gone back to heroin. He's got a wonderful wife and a new baby. And he goes, I, I got to tell him my experience. Should I tell him my experience that I lost everything that, you know, that he's going to lose everything. And which is where people go when they want to impress upon somebody that they should change. They, they automatically go to having fear of negative consequences. And, and so I said to him, I go, you certainly tell him your experience. You can express your concerns. I said, but, but that did that help you to change? I mean, you know, was the fear of the consequences something that made you change? Um, because it's clearly not going to make him change. It doesn't make people change for very long. Um, you know, he's got to come to the, obviously he was clean for a while under the, the guys that, um, probably through fear of consequences. And, you know, so he really does, you know, once we change the vernacular, you know, stop thinking of him as an addict who's relapsed and start thinking of him as somebody who really liked heroin for a long time. And he obviously maintained that preference for heroin even when he wasn't using it, which probably built it up in his mind greater. Um, you oh, know, it's this it wonderful does. thing, right? And yeah. so now, you know, he's stressed out. He's got a new baby. He's married. Um, you know, he's probably around 30 years old and he's and he's thinking my life is stressful and heroin's going to help me. Right. You know, I, and that's what I, I said. I go, what has to happen is he has to realize, A, that heroin isn't going to help him with those things if that's what he's thinking. And he has to think, 
well, you know what? I can be happier without this stuff. I, my life can be better. And I told him, I said, it sounds like dismissive, but if he figures that out, it'll, it'll be easy. It'll be a natural progression. He, you know, he won't, it doesn't occur to me to use PCP anymore. It never occurs to me. Um, <laughs> you know, I, it's just, it was a phase I went through and, and it's totally done. And I stopped it before I stopped everything else. Yeah. You know, yeah, your preferences changed. Yeah. yeah, so so it was a good conversation that I had with him, but but I think that's something that really sets the freedom model apart from every other thing out there, and that is there is literally no fear of consequences that's a motivator within the freedom model, not at all. Yeah, we're not harping on what's what bad things are going to happen to you, right? You know. Um, it, it, that does set up a terrible situation because of the way the mind works. The mind works based on comparison. Yeah. You know, you, you as you move through life, you build a past and then you compare as you're moving forward whatever is the new item of interest with the past, right? The contrast. Yeah. It's like looking at different colors on a wall, a tapestry. You, you wouldn't know red was red unless you had some other color next to it, right? That's how you learn. Well, uh, it's the same way with moving forward in life with drugs. If you're not uh, providing a positive to move forward, um, and or let's say, let me say it this way, if you provide somebody with the consequences and that's the only thing you harp on, meanwhile, the person is actively, habitually using, they look at the drug now, even though it's probably not as fun as it used to be, they say, well, that's better than these consequences, so I'm going to go get high again. So you're constantly comparing. So when you harp on consequences with an active drug user, the only thing you do is you drive them right back into active substance use because that's the option they know at the time. And it's, it makes it look more attractive, yes, especially yes. if they think... Oh, this is this helps me with my stress. So now you're stressing me out yes, more. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Exactly. And and boy, I gotta tell you, that's what that's why you go to a meeting in AA and they they say you better keep it green. Think about that yeah. last drunk or you haven't had it yet. Well, I'm gonna think about my last drunk and I'm gonna go get drunk. <laughs> right. I'm gonna make it not my last. <laughs> yeah, because it's a hell of a lot better than thinking about the DWI I got to go deal with tomorrow. Yeah. You know. So um, so. So what is the answer to that? The answer is not to, everybody knows the consequences. The, the answer is to work on what actually motivates human beings. And that is, would you be happier making a change to, to that substance use habit? And if you're happier rather than being frightened by consequences, so ignore that for a moment and just say, what, what really would make me a happier person? And, uh, and sometimes it's a more complex than that only because you have so much other stuff that's attached to this drug addiction problem that needs to be sorted out. And that's what the freedom model does. Chapter by chapter, it sorts that stuff out. And it really, it, it, it gradually shows you how to look at things from that angle. Right. The happiness angle. Right. From the happiness angle. So you said a very boiled down version and I always say a very boiled down version, but it does take seriously analyzing it to get yourself in that frame of mind where you can really think in those terms. People think they're looking for a happier option and it's all based around consequences, you know? Yeah. <laughs> they say, oh yeah, I know I'd be happier because you know, I won't get cirrhosis 10 years from now. Okay, but you don't really think you're gonna be happier today then, do you, if you don't drink? Right. You think you have to 
deprive yourself of drinking for 10 years so you don't get cirrhosis. Right. And then you'll be happy. Right. Will deprive. you really be happy at that point about the bad? <laughs> right. right. It's, I, it's strange. But now, um, you brought up, so with this talk about consequences, here's another term that gets me, and that is accountability, right? <laughs> I want to be, I need somebody to hold me accountable Right. I've had mm -hmm. people tell me that's what they're looking for in help. And right. uh, I my thought is like, look, reality holds you accountable. <laughs> it sure yes. does. There's, you know, goes if, up, comes down. Yeah. If you do nothing but, you know, if 90 percent of your energies are focused on uh, acquiring and using drugs, um, the consequence you know, reality is going to hold you accountable and that you're not going to develop much else going on in your life. Right. 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 And, you know, reality is always holding you accountable. But when people say this, what they want, they want somebody to, you know, for example, sometimes they set up situations where somebody's going to get their paycheck and oh, dole yeah, the, up the yeah, money. The whole, the whole sober babysitting, yes. right? you know, sober yeah. coaching. They yeah. want you, I had somebody came to my office one time and wanted me, you know, wanted to set up a situation where I was going to drug test them and like hold them accountable. I'm like, what is that going to, what, what can I do to hold you accountable by taking, so, you know, by, first of all, I don't want to go watch you pee. Definitely. Right. I right. Yeah. <laughs> I have had to administer those long ago and that is not something I want to do. Right. But, um, but so then I'm going to get the results and say, well, oh, you've been bad. You've been <laughs> yeah, using it's... heroin again. Like, what is the point of that? And I, and I said, literally, if that's what you what really need, go get arrested and make a plea deal in court. And uh, somebody will do that for you. But uh, it, it's, it, removes, it, it, it removes the responsibility from yourself once again. And so you're never really dealing with your problem. You're trying to stay scared straight basically. exactly it's it's still fear of negative consequences that's what it's set up to be it's i'm going to get in trouble my you know my parent is going to chastise me if if i if i do the wrong thing well it's it, and you know here's a chemical version of it ant abuse oh yeah right i'm gonna i'm gonna take a pill so that when i drink i punish myself yes the pill is punishing me which is yeah. really, really nuts. Um, but I get it. I get it. I get it because if you believe that you are this powerless, hapless victim of the chemical action in your brain tissue under the influence or, you know, that it's a brain disease, well, my God, then these things would be a type of medicine or you would need somebody to save you from yourself. Um, but it's incredibly sad because it's it's not. So it doesn't work. That's the problem. So so people go down these roads and then this the medications don't work. It didn't stop me from being depressed. It didn't stop me from using heroin. Suboxone didn't work for me. I'm hearing that more and more now, you know, as as Matt has become more popular as an example. And then, and then the person cycles in and out of heroin use or the drinker takes an abuse, really beats themselves up. 
that they failed on an abuse, but now that medication doesn't work for them. So they're not, now they're drinking heavier because they feel they're one of the hopeless cases. Right. And that's where these roads go. These distractions elongate a problem that, first of all, is a dangerous problem. I yeah. mean, let's, let's, let's call it what it is. I mean, people die from this. And, and, and innocent people die from this. So it's re- really quite a tragic habit. Um, so so we're, we're making the problem last long by a mass of uh, terms that cause distraction. Distraction from, would you be happier making a change? I swear to God, if we could sum up the entire freedom model, it would be that. Would you be happier making a change? And if we said that, 500 times to the person every time they went on these side trails well i i'm getting triggered or you know i would i swear if you just repeated that until one day the light bulb goes on and you go oh well, it, well oh, they can, maybe they, i'd be happier making a change they get confused because because and i went over this with this gentleman last night as well they get confused because they think well my life will be better my life will be better. I won't. I won't have these negative consequences. When you ask somebody, "Would you be happier?" That's where they go. Yeah. They go to, "Well, of course I'd be happier because I, you know, my wife won't leave me, and my, you know, I won't have stomach problems. I won't have pancreatitis. Of course I'm going to be happier." No, you maybe you'll be healthier. Maybe your relationship will be better. Um, but in the end, you haven't convinced yourself that you'll be happier not drinking than you will be drinking. Okay, now that you make a good point here because there's a nuance that I think is important with what you're saying. Because what we're saying is directly addressing the buzz. Yes, the The, actual act of drinking. Yeah, the buzz. Because people don't drink 12 beers in two hours because it tastes good. <laughs> no, okay? it doesn't taste that good. It's, that's, <laughs> Although some wine does. But, <laughs> but, but, that's hor- but that's horseshit, right? No, you it could, is. It is. You could drink 12 glasses of lemonade. and get Right, this. lemonade tastes great and nobody's going to drink 12 glasses of lemonade in two hours. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, so what we're talking about in the freedom model is you mentioned... I, I think you're going down a better path if you say, uh, you know, my wife won't leave me. That's positive. It is positive. You know? And instead of saying... Oh, I, no, you say it even better. You say, I'll stay married and my marriage will be happier. Okay. All right. Now, now you're getting close, but it's still a little bit of a distraction because you're not directly addressing why you like to get fucked up. Yes, okay? exactly. So, so the buzz is, if we're not directly addressing that, then you might be thinking, yeah, my, my relationship with my wife is going to be fantastic. And that's great. And it may get you closer to an answer. But, but do you still like getting wasted? Right. Do you still like that? Because if you still like that, it's, it, that's what you're going to do. Yeah. I, you know? yeah. Well, and it's if you like it so much that you think, because basically, uh, you know, if, if you just, if you think that's the way to have fun, let's say, right? And life is boring without getting wasted, then you're going to do it, right? That's right. That's just right. like, there's a lot of things that I like that I don't do all the time, right? And so I, you know, I don't think it's just liking, it's the degree to which you like it and that you feel that it's irreplaceable, right? Right, exactly. You know, that, that there's, that, you'll just be so bored without it 
Well, you got to figure out, wait a minute, will I really be bored without getting wasted? Right, right. You know? Right. Can I have some excitement? You can, you can question that. Like, is there, you know, is it possible for me to have some excitement about it? And you can question, is getting wasted very exciting anymore? Because it gets to a point where it's not exciting. Right. right? So you you can can attack it on both angles and it's just not as big to you anymore once you do that. And I think people get down the road of substance use to a point where, where they are willing to see that they're willing to see that, you know, it's not as wonderful as it used to be. I'm I'm not, you know, I'm not doing it now to, to go have fun, but they, they attach other things to it. And, and that's what we help people to figure out, that, you know, what, what have you attached to this substance use? What powers have you given it that it doesn't really have? You know, whether it's that which we talk about the power of helping you to escape your problems, which it doesn't really do. But we walk people through this process um, within the freedom model. I mean, that's that's the reason people, you know, there are a lot of people that just get the book and read it and they're like, it's awesome. I mean, you can read the reviews on Amazon. It's, you know, it's, it's everything I've ever thought it, 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 and they do great with just the book. But then there are people who have really, um, you know, have really been down the road of addiction treatment and they've got all the lingo and we recognize them. And, and it's so insidious, the things that they think about substances, because it's treatment itself that tends to attach a lot of these things. That tends to, you know, it's I'm self-medicating. I hate that terminology, self-medicating, because it it, it validates something that's not even real. Um, You know, and I I was told I was self-medicating, you know, 35 years ago. Um, you know, when, yeah, when I and first you were started. a bad doctor, you were a bad doctor and you were yep. prescribing yourself the wrong medicine. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and, and they wanted to prescribe me the right medicine. You know, they here, yeah, I know you're drinking a lot, but here, let me give you these benzos. It'll help you to feel better. And I'm like, yeah, I'll stick with my alcohol. Thanks. <laughs> Self, you're, you're so right. Self-medicating is an awful term. It really gives way too much credit to drugs and alcohol. Yeah. But now um, I want to say we started out talking about terminology and now look where we've gone, which is just to really analyze choices, options, get into decision making. And that is what is obliterated by all of these really very vague terms and terms that – portray you as out of control uh, you know that's yeah. and so that's that's the big overarching point is um, most every term you hear in recovery um sort of obliterates clear thinking and we should just throw them all out and talk about this as decision making exactly that's exactly right and and to 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 wrap it up that's a great way to wrap it up i mean I did, uh, when I was in college, I studied behavioral science and, you know, we trained a rat to uh, get, you know, hit a bar and get sugar water um, every time the light was on, you know, and the rat, I think we named the rat Casey Jones. <laughs> I was a little bit of a deadhead. And then um, the, so what we did was, is, you know, we did the Pavlovian theory of, of, of you can, you can train people to do certain things. And I and I think these labels reduce people to rats. You know, Absolutely. to rats in a cage who are triggered and 
um, and behave in ways that they don't really want to do. And, and that's, you know, if you really talk to any behavioral researcher, they're going to tell you that's not true. It's, it's completely not true. It's, it's been disproven over and over again, even people with severe mental illness. And in a lot of ways, the reality may be different than ours, but they consciously make decisions to do things based on what their perception is um, of what will make them happier at any given moment in time. And so so that's that's why you're right. That's why we need to change the terminology. We need to start talking to people as if they are human beings who have the ability to reason <laughs> and make choices. And, um, and I think that only then are we going to see real strides being made in helping people to to solve their problems and you know what you're making me think of one more thing <laughs> Go first ahead. of all um martin seligman oh, yes. did a great paper a few years back and he said even all of that pavlovian stuff and what we think we know about rats um is not even turning out to be true oh, you know that's, i gotta see that paper that's they're great. actually going in the other direction there's all these studies that prove that the rats are sort of, to some degree, reasoning out. <laughs> That's <laughs> you know, awesome. That they are projecting forward and and you know making new decisions when you put them in the maze and they're trying to find the cheese and all this stuff. He he goes through all of that, but the rat stuff even holds true. This stuff where we're 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 equating people with rats. Um, I like the rat park study. There's something interesting about yes. it. Yes, but. You know, everybody says, oh, yeah, it's your cage. <laughs> it's your right? cage. And, yep. And they mean your family and the town you live in and whatever else. And so you think we're making this big jump. Everybody love Yo- Yo- loves Johan's presentation. And that got sent to me yet again yesterday by somebody. Hey, did you see this, Steve? Um, I wish I had a British accent. Um, <laughs> And, right. It makes you sound so much you know, smarter. We think we're making a big <laughs> jump with that because we're getting away from the idea that the drug compels you to use. But then, you know, what Johan is putting forward is, oh, well, it's your environment is forcing you to use. And we're saying, look, nobody is forcing you to use. You're a human being. Like yes. you said, I, I giggled when you said we have to talk to people like they're human beings, but it <laughs> is so true. You are not ruled by your environment, by your genetics, nope. by a drug, by none of it. You have choices. Yeah. All of those things can influence you, but you ha- at the end of the day, you're a human being. You have the power of choice, which means that you can look at more than one option, assess the options, dig into them, seek out information, and be motivated to make a different choice. But you have to choose to think things through differently if you want to make that happen. And you're not going to do this, you're not going to make it happen by fighting the imaginary disease of addiction or avoiding triggers. You have to think through what you really want. That is perfect way to end it. Thank you so much, Stephen. Mark had to go because he had an appointment, so he he's left already. Um, <laughs> I want to wrap it up by saying um, we have a, an amazing opportunity starting in the month of June, which I think this is going to be aired uh, next week. So so yeah, I, I say that um, starting in June. 
if you come to the retreat, you'll be working with Stephen, Mark, and I directly, and um, we'll be with you on a regular basis. We're we're going on the road. Um, we're going to be at Rutgers at the end of June, um, and uh, and I know that we're going to be at a conference in September. Um, we have more dates we're going to have during the summer that will be announced. Um, but, but thank you everybody for tuning in. And if there's something you'd like us to talk about, definitely give us a shout. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter under the freedom model, um, on Instagram. I don't know a lot about other things. I know I'm on LinkedIn as well, and you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can reach us directly through our websites, which is, which are, uh, soberforever.net and thefreedommodel.org. And Stephen has, go ahead, say your website, Stephen. Oh, my website is thecleanslate.org. There's a ton of research on there. I put a lot of links to research backing up so much of what we say. Yes. And, um, you know, look me up on, on Facebook. I have an author page on there as well where yes. I post a lot of stuff. Yes, and um, and at the end of this week, uh, May 30th and 31st, we're going to be in Albany at the Freihofer's Run for Women Expo at um, the Armory uh, uh, at Sage College, which is on New Scotland Avenue in Albany. And uh, we'll be there in the afternoon Thursday, both Thursday and Friday in the afternoon and evening. So come in and talk with us if you're in the Albany area and check us out. And thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Addiction Solution Podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, and YouTube. If you or someone you know is struggling with substance use issues, the Freedom Model can help. Call 888-424-2626. That's 888-424-2626. Or visit thefreedommodel.org to see which option may be best for you. For a residential option, visit soberforever.net. That's soberforever.net.